So thank you so much for helping. Uh, yesterday, uh, uh, it is far more than we thought we would be able to get through. And uh, I really appreciate it because those jobs are far too big for me to do on my own during the week. So um, I really do appreciate that. I'm going to pray and then we'll get straight into this morning's message. Father God, I thank you that we have encountered you already in our gathering together and I pray that as we continue Lord that you would speak to us that um, as we open our lives to you that we would see you move and we would be transformed Lord help us make the decisions and the choices that line up with what your word says and your plan and your purpose for us in Jesus name Amen Fantastic. Well, we've been looking at um, a series where we've been looking mainly uh, kind of from the beginning of the year. We saw that scripture in Isaiah which spoke about forget the former things, do not dwell in the past, see I'm, see I'm doing a new thing, do not perceive it. Remember, we looked at that. We looked at the memorials going through, uh, memorials of God's faithfulness and, and grace uh, and all of those different things. And then last week, uh, building from the things that have gone before, and I'd encourage if you missed those uh, and you're part of the church, listen to them. They're online, uh, and the, so that things fall in context um, for you. And then last week we looked at um, the passage in Deuteronomy where uh, Moses is speaking to the new generation of Israelites and, uh, and recounting uh, and giving a summary of everything that's gone before. And he speaks about how God spoke to the nation, uh, the generation before them at Horeb and said that uh, you've been camped enough around this mountain, now go and take possession of the land. And, and just a real sense that sometimes we can camp at a mountain uh, uh, and um, become so familiar with those things that we don't even see them as obstacles that we need to go over and and we just sit and stay there rather than moving into the promised land which God has for us. In other words, the things that he has for us, uh, not just um, for us individually but also corporately. And so last week we started that uh, um, but I didn't get to the end of it so this week is part two. Um, So I'll do a very brief cap of the first bit and then again if you missed last week, have a listen on Online. But we, we looked at that and it's saying that it's, it's time for us to step into what God has for us. Time to, for us to step into the promised land, as it were, in our lives individually, but also corporately, rather than staying there. And we, we looked at, um, I said there were five things we we're going to look at, which uh, things that hinder us from doing that or that keep us going around the mountain. And we only covered two of those. But it's important that we deal with those things. Uh, we deal with the past, we deal with the things that we, we spoke of and um, things we can look at this morning so that we can move into what God has for us. You see, when uh, Moses was telling this to this next generation, because the generation before had rejected God's um, plan for them to go in uh, through fear and everything else, and so this, uh, and then wandered around the desert for 40 years, dead alone camping at the mountain and then needing to go in, they then wandered around the desert. And you're saying, actually, this is what has gone on. Don't do the same thing. He actually, later on, I think it's in Joshua, says to them, I'm, I'm laying before you, or, or towards the end of Deuteronomy, I'm laying before you life and death. Now choose life. And the same for, for you and I, where there are things in our lives that we keep going around the same mountain. God's saying, look, I'm showing you. Now, now choose the right way so that you can actually walk into what I have for you. And uh, we see that, as, um, uh, that we need to deal with those things because the, the way we behave and live in what God has for us and tomorrow needs to be different from the past. Uh, and remember, we looked at, uh, I mentioned briefly, when, when uh, Joshua did lead the nation into the, um, the, the promised land, their first battle was against Jericho and God had given a clear instruction 
what to do and what not to do. And there was that one chap, Achan, who disobeyed God, rebelled, and, and took the, 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 the things from Jericho and hid them in his tent. And then the next battle they went to, they got defeated because of his sin. And the whole nation, the whole nation came to a standstill and couldn't move until that one person had been dealt with. You remember how it's, and that was Achan and how God went, um, he went tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family until they found who it was that had disobeyed God. And uh, we had a chat in our home group about this because it seems quite harsh that actually for, because of one person, the whole nation, and then God's treatment of that one person see, it can seem harsh if we see it out of context and we see it from our point of view. But the, the thing is here is that, and we see a parallel in the New Testament, if you think of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, where at the beginning of, uh, where, where the, the early church is very new, it's the same kind of thing. The, the nation of Israel were about to go, they just started to step into the promised land. And, and God dealt with it strongly because that had to be dealt with then. So it didn't corrupt the rest of the nation. And we do know historically what went on, but it's so that God dealt with them so that there was the fear of God that came that meant that they lived and walked out with faith in God but fear of God so that they could walk into those things. But it's dealing with what had gone on before. And I think we need to take God at his word and trust him and believe him. And then we walk into the promises that he has for us. And we walk into the promises when we live his way. Isaiah 26 verse 5 says, The paths of the righteous are level and smooth. In other words, the paths of those who live God's way, who are righteous before him, that is us, are level and smooth. When, and that's because we follow his way. Hebrews chapter 12 uh, verse 1 to 3 says, encourages us to throw off everything. That hinders. And it goes on to say, and the sin that so easily entangles. But it doesn't just say, just throw off the sin. It says, throw off everything that hinders you walking and running the race and fulfilling what God has called you to in the fullness of that, what that is. And so that could be attitudes, mindsets, way of thinking, way of doing things. But we need to deal with that stuff so that we can go into what God has in a way that is fruitful and godly and a way that actually honors him. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 says God's words to them was you've stayed here long enough. Break camp and advance. And God's word to us is, some of us is, uh, and corporately is, you've stayed here long enough. Not geographically, so please don't just suddenly sell your houses and move. It, it's you've stayed here long enough for whatever it, that is. Now break camp. In other words, break down those things and move on. And then later on he says to them, now turn north. And so both of those things were very clear direction from God. This is the way to go. This is what to do. Leave that move there. And uh, so we, we looked at the five, we started looking at the five things. And, and this isn't a, a complete list. It's only part of some of the, I mean, there could be all sorts of things. But these are five things that I felt God highlight to me in preparation that we need to deal with in order to m- move on. And so these are five things that are the things that are causing us to go around the mountain. The first I said was the past. Whether that's, I'm not going to dwell on these long, but it's just a recap. Past failures, disappointments, successes, hurts, whatever it is from the past that we need to deal with so that we can move forward. And um, a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, I said that we need to look at the past with thankfulness to God for the things that he's done. So that in the present, we look up to Jesus with faith. So that we can look forward with courage 
because we need courage to take possession of what God has for us. But the courage isn't based on our own strength that we kind of muster up. It's based on remembering the faithfulness of God, looking to him in faith, and then stepping forward in courage. But it requires that as we do that, we need to deal with the things of the past. Whether it be hurts or successes, whether it be disappointments and failures, relationships, whatever it is, if there's stuff in your past that's holding you or stopping you seeing or thinking or moving into what God has, let the Holy Spirit come and deal with it. We looked at that last week. Then the second one, which I touched on last week, was um, critical, being, having a critical spirit. Remember I said that if, if our natural bias is to be critical, we need to stop that. Because, and there was the account that I drew attention to of, of uh, Miriam and Aaron, where they were critical of Moses, and God dealt with them. And uh, Miriam became leprous, and again the nation stopped and paused until that was dealt with. And to have a critical spirit, in other words, where you where you constantly criticizing and talking about others, there is no place in the kingdom of God for that. In the life of a disciple, there is no place for that. And it might be that you experience it, but, but does, that doesn't make it right. We need to change those things. You see, when we have a critical attitude like that, no matter how justified we might feel, no matter how right we might feel, if we criticize and bring criticism, that brings division and divisiveness into, uh, and destruction into people's lives and into the life of the church. I mean, let me ask you this. How, do you, how would you like to be criticized? None of us would. But God deals with it because actually criticism leads to destruction and divisiveness, but also leads to gossip which is like cancer that eats away and destroys and it needs to be dealt with. In our lives we choose not to do that. Not to be a busybody. Not to feel that actually you need to know what's going on in someone else's affairs. We don't. God's the one who leads. So it's, it's, it's keeping a tad rein on our tongue and we stop those things. And, and, and if you find that that's how you've lived, stop it. Simple. Stop it. And if you think, actually, I need to go and sort this out, can I encourage you? How we sort out those things of, say, we've been critical of someone else. If that person doesn't know we've been critical, in other words, it's been critical and gossip and behind their back, don't go to them. Because they didn't know. Go to those that you have spoken to about them and apologize to those people that you have behaved in an ungodly, unbiblical way and ask for forgiveness. You see, too often we kind of think, actually we're going to go and tell the person we've criticized that we're sorry about criticizing them. They think, I didn't know you criticized me. Now suddenly they have to deal with, now I have to forgive you. Now, I did, now I'm aware of something that I wasn't aware of. And what about this? And that just mucks it up. And really, our, our attitude, that is normally because we want to feel good. I want to feel like we're uh, proving something. So first and foremost, don't criticize. Don't, don't, that's, there's no, that brings destruction. And, and I don't know about you, but when we live with understanding the fear of God, we want to do it God's way, not our way. And if there are issues that people have, 
You point them to the biblical way. What's the biblical way? Matthew 18 says, if someone sinned against you, you go to them. You go uh, a brother. And you go and ask them, uh, well, you'd sort it out between the two of you, face to face. Face to face. And face to face means face to face. (laughs) Not face to face. Not email to email. It's face to face. That's God's way. And if that person doesn't listen, then it says you go and get someone else with you and you go and speak to them together. And there's a process. And that process is in the word of God because it's God's way. Not man's way. Man doesn't like doing that. It's far easier and far easily removed when you don't do it one-to-one face-to-face and remove it to these things. And then there's all sorts of other stuff that gets in and, and then it's that and this and, and it's a mess. And we think, actually, you know what? I, did it, I know that's what the Bible says, but this, I, for this and this reason, I need to do it this way. If we don't do it God's way, it won't work. If we don't do it God's way, you won't walk in victory. You will go round the mountain again. And we need to be very clear and very wise of what battles we need to fight and what battles we need to walk away from. I think too many people get involved in situations that they are supposed to walk away from and have no right to get involved in. And we wonder why people's lives are a mess. Because that's not God's way. God has a way. We do it His way. We live in fruitfulness and we don't go around the mountain. We do it our way or the world's way. Around the mountain again. Round the mountain again. So anyway, those are the two from last week. Probably spent a little bit too long on the second one than I was supposed to, but maybe someone needed to hear that today. So the past and critical and, uh, and all of those things. So the third thing, what stops us going round the mountain, what makes us go round the mountain that we need to stop? And I think it's this, is we need to be teachable and humble. So what stops us is being unteachable and independent. What do I mean by that is, is if we have this attitude, well, I know how to do this. I've got this one covered. I'll do it my way. I'm not going to listen. You'll go around the mountain again and again. First, with regards to God. Second, with regards to those that God puts in our life that God can speak through to us. You see, if we are unteachable... In essence, what we are is arrogant and proud, and God opposes the proud. And if you're unteachable, you're closing yourself off to hearing from God and being, being transformed by God. For whatever reason you do that, whether it's be, I'll do it my way, I've done it before, I'll do it again. And it also leads to presumption. You see, a, presumption is an incredibly dangerous thing. If you look in Scripture, where, and, and again, if you look in Scripture at the, the nation of Israel, where uh, and, uh, both them, uh, but also when, uh, when around Joshua and leading, but also when David led, as soon as they presumed that this is how it's going to be, because of what's gone on before, they had trouble. See, God works as God works, and sometimes he doesn't work the same as he did before. He is unchanging, but the way he works and what he does, we have to be saying, God, what are you saying? What must, what must I do now? What must I do then? But if we presume, 
we become arrogant and proud. And we can easily miss what God has said. We need to remain open for God to speak to us through whomever God chooses. I mean, you just look in Scripture at who God used to speak to others, who God used to reveal a truth, to challenge an attitude, to break open a situation. With Balaam, what did he use? A donkey. With Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had all those dreams, who did he use? We think, well, he used Joseph, chosen by God. But in Pharaoh's mind, he was a prisoner. God used a prisoner to reveal to the Pharaoh what he was saying. And saved a nation. God changed the world. And we know it's through his son. But he was the carpenter's son. You look at the disciples, tax collectors, fishermen, and, 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 and all sorts of other people. Today, God uses everybody. So if we close ourselves and become unteachable, it's like, I know this, you can't teach me because you've only been a believer two days, I've been a believer two decades, and God wants to use that person, or even use an unsaved person. We close ourselves to God, and we go around the mountain again. Because we're arrogant and proud and unteachable. But we need to be those who are hungry to learn everything that God has for us. Through whomever God tells us or speaks to us. See, when we close ourselves to that and become unteachable, we then become independent. And isolated. And actually, it pushes people away. How many of you love being around an arrogant know-it-all? I know at times we're all a bit like that, thinking, well, I know what to do. I've got this, I know what to do. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, that thing that is in people that is constant, it actually pushes people away rather than be teachable and draws people in. And it creates independence. But how's God created us to live? Interdependently. Remember I said the other week, and when we looked at Caleb and Joshua, and when Caleb had this incredible understanding and grasp that his inheritance, the best for him spiritually and physically and everything, was totally connected to him being part of that community of faith. The same is true for you and I. The best for us, spiritually physically, emotionally, everything else is be totally interdependently connected to a community of faith, which is the church. And as soon as we remove ourselves from that, we put ourselves a, in a very vulnerable place for the enemy's attack, but also we're putting ourselves in a place that God never intended. Because what's best for us is to be in a community of believers. All the challenges and the joys that come with that. All the good times, the bad times, the irritating ones, the easy ones, everything in. Why? Because that's how God fashions and forms us. That's how we learn and we grow when we have to wrestle through things. That's, how we, that's why when we do it God's way, which is face to face, and that is where we fashioned and formed by Him. For His glory, for our good, and for the extension of the kingdom. But if we become unteachable and independent... 
We become isolated and removed, which doesn't help anybody or anything. And when we looked, and I think it was last year or the year before, when we looked at Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with a picture of the body of many parts, why do you think God uses that? He doesn't use like, well, you're like a, I don't know, a Lego figure that can, I know they didn't have Lego then, but I was talking to one of the boys this morning, that is just all these pieces stuck together because those pieces you can take apart and you can use them somewhere else and it's, they, they exist on their own. You see, he used the analogy of the body because actually the body parts are connected together with a life to flow through. And if I cut my finger off and put it over there, it's going to die. The rest of the body might hurt and will, well, will be, but will recover and carry on, but that will die. The same is true when we become independent rather than interdependent. We lose that sense of God's purpose and plan and team. And everything that God does is in team and relationship and connected. That's why we need to be open-hearted and teachable. So my question to us all is, how teachable are you, really? Or unteachable and independent? Are you open for others to build into your life as much as you're building into theirs and speak into as much as you speak into theirs. You see, if we're going to take new territory or new ground or step into the new things of God, we need to be teachable and we need to be together. It's connectedness. Again, with the presumption, if you think, actually, if we're unteachable, we just try and do it our way and man's way, not God's way. It happened where Joshua, when they do go into the promised land, they start taking possession of the promised land, and then, then, it, then there's this group called the Gibeonites came to him. Now the Gibeonites, they had heard and they'd seen and they were fearful and of the nation, and they saw what God has favored for them, and they lived in the area. But what they did was they thought, actually, if we go in disguise and pretend me from far away and trick them into doing a peace treaty with us, then we'll be safe. So that's exactly what they did. And it says in Scripture that it says these words. But Joshua did not inquire of God. He presumed he knew what was going on. He didn't inquire of God and then was tricked into a treaty that was not God's plan. You see, when we presume and we don't inquire of God, we easily get entangled in things that are not helpful that are a snare rather than seeing God's way. And we go around the mountain, and we go around the mountain, and we go around the mountain. But we need to do things God's way, God's way in, order, in order to change. So that's that one. Being critical and unteachable rather than humble and teachable and growing in him. The fourth, I know if you're only taking notes today, it's point two, but it's four. Um, <laughs> this one isn't an easy one for any of us, I don't think. And that's choosing your comfort instead of your conviction. That's a big thing in our world today. As much as it was in Israel way back then. Remember when things got a little bit hard and they wanted the leeks and the onions of Israel, Egypt and everything else. But you see, as soon as we choose the option of our comfort rather than the convictions of God, we lose a view of the kingdom and the promises of God. Why? It's because as soon as we choose our comfort and our convenience rather than the conviction of the word of God, what we're saying is, I'm more important than you, God. I'm more important than us, God. 
And it's all about me. Our world that we live in is so focused on that. It's all about you. It's all about your truth, your comfort, your, if it feels good to you, if it doesn't, that, all of that. I don't have to say that because you know that. That's what the world is like. That's not biblical. When we choose our own comfort and convenience ahead of the privilege of being used by God, we lose sight of eternity. We lose sight of the kingdom. We lose sight of God's promises. You see, a simple thing. I love our home group. We meet every week. We have a good time. But there are times where I'm tired and I think, do I really want to go to home group? It's like, yes, I do. Why? Because it's a privilege for us to meet together. It's a privilege for us to be involved in each other's lives, to, to be open for God to use us in, to build each other up. It's a privilege to pray together. It's a privilege to wrestle with the Word together. But if I think it's not convenient, we lose sight of the privilege of what it means to be part of the family of God. That can be true for Sunday meeting. It can be true for speaking to you. It can be true for anything. If God says this is his way, and, and these are, you see, our, our true convictions are evidenced in the lifestyle we live, the choices we make, and what we give our time through, not what we say. Our true convictions. We might say the right things and we know the right things and we know the answers in Scripture and we, we could probably give that advice to everybody. But unless we live that advice, unless we live the truth of the Word, it is not a conviction for us. I was chatting to someone the other day and we were talking about this and I said, there, there's, a, there's an old preacher called Bob Mumford. Some of you would know him. Well, my, you might know him. I don't think you know him personally, but anyway, you would know of him. And he used this analogy. He said, it's the analogy of the mumps and the measles. If I hang around you and I say, no, don't worry, I've got measles, I've got measles, when in fact I've got mumps, what are you going to catch? The mumps. No matter how much I tell you I've got measles, you're going to catch the mumps. Why? Because that's what I've got. No matter how much I say, well, this is important, that's important. If I don't live those out, that's what you, this is what you're going to do, not what I say. And so we need to be those who live with the, with the convictions of the truth of God outworked in our lives rather than the comfort and our own convenience. Because if we live with our comfort and convenience, we lose sight of the kingdom and we lose sight of God. You see, following Jesus is not comfortable. If you've read Scripture the basic things of what we are called to be and how we're called to live as disciples, it's not comfortable. And here's the biggest clue. When Scripture says we are to die to ourselves and live for Him, dying's not comfortable. Dying's not convenient. But we're to die to ourselves and live for Him. When we choose our own comforts and convenience above the convictions of the Word of God, we stop moving forward, we go around the mountain. 
We go around the mountain again and again. And so we need to make the adjustments. Step up to the plate of what God's calling us to. For Israel, they had to take hold of the inheritance. They had to go and fight the battle. Not convenient. Not comfortable. Not easy. But when we become comfortable, even comfortable with just with the status quo, what happens is it stops us stepping out in faith. If I'm comfortable just living like it is at the moment, I may just live within this comfortable world of my little world. It stops me standing up in faith. It stops me stepping out in faith. It, 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 I start looking for a quick fix or man's solution because it's more comfortable that way. If you go back to what I said earlier about Matthew 18, why do you think most people don't do Matthew 18? The face-to-face. Because it's not comfortable. It's not easy. But it's God's way. And if you don't do it God's way, it's not going to work. The quick fix might feel like it's worked, but it's really not resolved anything, and you'll go around the mountain again. And you go around the mountain, and you think, well, why does it never work? Because you don't do it God's way. You choose your own comfort rather than convince. Why aren't we seeing breakthrough? Because actually my world is, uh, is fashioned and formed around my comfort rather than what God has said. Conviction of God's word is what stands us strong for what he's called us to. Maybe, just a thought, if you find that, because sometimes we do that and it's intentional, other times we just find ourselves in that place where we think, actually, maybe I have just become comfortable. And other things I've just believed and now it's actually become about me and my security and and I need to shake that off. And sometimes we're in those places and we're saying, well, God, what are you saying? And you feel God says the same thing over and over again. Maybe we need to ask God, if you're saying the same thing, why am I not hearing? What am I not hearing? And what am I not doing? And what have I not put in place? That's why we need to be teachable, humble, and following after him. Make sense? So how do we change? First of all, I think we... From that point, because we've still got one more point to go, is um, we repent for not putting God first. Simple. Everything, every solution to anything that comes from disobedience to God starts with repentance. It's not rocket science. It's quite simple. It starts with repentance because that's humbling yourself before God. And then we set our values and our commitments and our life according to his word and his plans and purposes. And we make those adjustments around those. I think another part, way to help us is once we've done that is to actually speak to someone that we trust so they can encourage us and help us not go around the mountain again. And when they see us going back into a point of, well, it's just comfortable, they can challenge and we can receive it. See, if, just think of this. If there's an area in your life that you have been longing for breakthrough, in, and I, I know God is sovereign, and, and this might not be the, way, the, the issue, but sometimes, often, when we think, well, we're longing to see this, we're longing to see this, but we remain comfortable. So let me just use an example, simple example. You're longing to see people healed miraculously. And you say, oh, that's biblical, it's a good thing to long for, to, to see people in wheelchairs stand up, to see the dead raised, to see... 
And, and you think, well, why God haven't you? It's a really good thing. I, I want to see that. I want to see that. I want to see that. And then God says, go and talk to that person in a wheelchair. And you think, oh, I'm not that comfortable about doing that. Hello? Or maybe it's not that he sees someone in a wheelchair. Maybe it's because actually you've been praying, you've been praying for that and you're expecting that. And someone says, I've really got a headache and has been battling for two days. And you think, oh, I'm not comfortable about praying for that. Or it's inconvenient, or actually I'm going to do this. You think, well, if I'm, if I'm putting my comfort before those things, then really I'm not going to see the breakthrough. Makes sense? Me to tell some, and so tell someone. So in that situation, it's like, well, tell someone. Then they think, well, actually, what can happen then is if they're bold and courageous and pray for everything that moves, when they're going to go and do that, they get you to come with them to help you overcome. But if they don't know that that's a mountain you're going around, then how can, that's why God puts us in family together so we can live that out and step out in that. And Scripture tells us to run the race to, as if to win the prize. And the same passage about running the race to win the prize also says we need to compete by the rules. And that's God's way. So the final thing that we're going to end off is, which I think is a big one, is fear. Fear causes us to go around the mountain again and again. A lack of faith or trust in God produces fear. God said to the nation of Israel, here's the promised land, it's yours, go and possess it. What does Israel say back to God? They're too big. It's too difficult. They're going to take our children. We look like grasshoppers. Fear of the giants became greater than God in their eyes and they forgot the promise. And in actual fact, they didn't inherit. But you know what scripture says? Joshua chapter 5 verse 7. God says, I raised up their sons in their place. The very so so their argument to God was these guys are giants, we grasshoppers, they're gonna take our children. The very excuse of they're gonna take our children, those children were the ones who fought those giants to take the inheritance that their parents hadn't. Because their parents allowed fear to grip. And they lost the view of the incredible awesomeness of God and his promise and the fact that the land God had given them already. The same is true for us. Often there's stuff that goes on that actually becomes big in our eyes and it can block our understanding or our view of God and then we allow fear to come in. Why do you think Joshua, when, when, when God was speaking to Moses and Moses just before he handed over to Joshua, he told him to be bold and courageous. And then when Joshua, Moses is dead, Joshua chapter 1 starts and God says to him, be bold and courageous. Be very bold, be very courageous. Why do we need to look up in faith? Because that enables us to look forward in courage rather than fear. Fear doesn't mean that we're ignorant. It means that our view of God and what God has said is actually stirs our hearts so we can step out in faith in impossibilities to face what is, what is ahead of us. Yes. You don't need courage if it's not difficult. Or if, it's not going to, if you're not going to be face fear, I suppose. But God's the one who we draw courage from. 
When we allow the lies of the enemy to overshadow the promises of God, fear takes a hold. And our focus comes off him and onto those things. And we lose sight of what God has. That could also be as simple as fear of change. Fear of change and comfort and everything else all work together. It's like, um, because it's an unknown. But who's the one who doesn't change? God. Who's the one on whom we build our lives? God. Whose word remains constant and safe and secure no matter what situation we face? The word of God. Who is greater than any opposition, any unknown of change, anything? God. Who's the one who has promised? God. To whom do we belong? God. So we can be strong, we can be courageous, we can be faith-filled. So how do we combat fear? The word of God. Faith and the word go hand in hand. It says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. The more you fill yourself with the truth of God's word, the more we've got to battle against the lies of the enemy. It's, the, it's faith and the word of God worked in our lives and a revelation of who God is and who we are as children of God, our position in him, and then also a revelation of what he's called us to. What is it that God's called, us, called you to? What is it that God has for you? That's what we go. You see, what, what the nation of Israel did, they allowed the giants to cloud the promise. The fear that came in from the giants clouded what they saw and understood to be the promise of God. Faith, someone said, is confident Confident, obedient to God's word in spite of the circumstances or consequences. Confident, obedient to God and his word. That is how we to respond. So, let's see if I can remember them all. No, I can't. <laughs> Fear. Being unteachable. Comfort. Comfort. Being comfortable in our, in our lives, critical, and the past. Allow the Holy Spirit to come and work in you today. If there's anything that God highlights and says, actually, you need to adjust this, or this is what's causing you to go around again and again, please don't go home today without spending time with God and allowing Him to work in your life. If you'd like someone to pray for you, find someone who's part of the church and ask them. I guarantee they would be more than happy to pray with you. Not that they have the answer, but they they can come together with you and together you can come to God and God moves. God has got so much for us to do, so much for us to experience of him, of reaching the nations, of impacting beyond, of seeing people taken from darkness into light to come to relationship with him. So much. But it requires we deal with our stuff, God's way, and step into what he has for us and see where he takes us and what he does. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go around the mountain again. In any area of life, individually, corporately, let's deal with those things and allow God to move. There's a world to save and it's a privilege for God to use us. And it's a joy, no matter how hard, it's a joy. Why? Because it's eternity. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you for everything you are doing in each one of our lives and also corporately together. Lord, I pray that as we've looked this week and last week and as we continue to read your word, that you'd reveal the things and the areas of our lives where we need to make adjustments, whether they be small or enormous. God, we choose to follow you wholeheartedly, to set aside our comfort, our convenience, our insecurities, our fears, and all those things, and to fix our gaze on you, Jesus. Thank you that we can come to you, God. Thank you that you know everything about us, and the solution to everything and the fulfillment in our lives is all based in you. And so this morning, I ask by your Spirit that where people might... Feel stirrings in certain areas by your spirit you'd come and work. That those who like that picture of the book, Jesus, you're the answer, would open their lives to you. In any one of these areas or others that we've looked at, or that you would highlight, God, that we would not be the same tomorrow as we are today because you have worked in our lives. Holy Spirit, we open ourselves to you and we ask you to come and work in Jesus' name. Amen.